Welcome back to session nine of the Hidden Things and Hidden Things, the no problem bowling episode. Wait, I don't know what that means. Anyway, so let's talk about bowling. Let's talk about Kigelm. So the story about why there's bowling, there was not, it will shatter readers and listeners to, to learn, there was not originally bowling in the first version, in the first draft of the story. There was no bowling. The bowling scene did not happen. So what did happen was I had given myself an, a whole extra day of time in the city before uh, Vicus and Calliope set off on their journey. And it let me do a bunch of stuff that I wanted to do, most of which had to do with um, giving us more history with Josh and Calliope and things of that nature and some more time with Tom and some stuff with, with Johnson and that sort of thing. But the problem was I'd written all these scenes and, and knocked or put Calliope to sleep as many times as I could. And it was still only like four in the afternoon. So I needed time to move forward more quickly. So I racked my brains for something that would allow me to advance the time more quickly. So I either needed something that was going to take a lot of time and I could describe in relatively few pages or something that would just make the time jump forward and without her sleeping even some more. Because if she was sleeping, I was going to have to do another flashback and I didn't want to do that. Which let me hit on bowling because we've got a couple, like it's the story that I, that I told in the actual book where, you know, time is lost. I wanted some lost time stuff. And that usually involved fairy rings and that sort of thing. But I wanted something that was a little bit more proactive. So, and I wanted something that was very, I needed time to be lost. I needed something proactive and I wanted something prosaic. I wanted something very plain and real world. And that meant bowling. So Vicus takes Calliope to a bowling alley. It did not hurt that at that point in time, when I was sort of doing rewrites on the book and that sort of thing, I was also involved in a bowling league with a bunch of other gamer nerds. We had a t-shirts with like a picture of somebody bowling, but the ball was like a D20 and things like that. So um, there was, you know, the bowling alley stuff was in the back of my mind for that reason also. That's what brought me to it. Um, the bowling alley that I described though has absolutely nothing to do with the bowling alley where I was doing my actual bowling. And it has everything to do with the bowling alley that my parents bowled in when I was a kid. They were both in a number of bowling leagues when I was a kid. And I really did spend more than an average kid's, I think, fair share of Friday and Saturday nights or Wednesday nights or whatever in my early youth sitting on contoured orange fiberglass chairs in a bowling alley watching this game that I could not at that point in time have cared less about and watching my, watching my parents bowl. So the bowling alley that I'm describing in a lot of ways is, is that bowling alley. Uh, somebody asked me, and I love this idea and I'm totally stealing it. So whoever asked me this, thank you. Cause at some point in time, it's going to come up, but somebody asked me if it was significant, if bowling alleys have these sort of effect, or if there's this sort of culture that's built up in the back corners of the bowling alley, that's true. And Calliope spent a lot of time in bowling alleys as a child. And in fact, her parents did a lot of bowling and she's this sort of special person. If that matters, if that's important. And the answer to that question is. Not when I wrote it, but now, yes, absolutely. I will make use of that. It was unimportant, but not anymore. So that's bowling. The proprietor of the bowling alley and his sister, daughter, whatever she is. <laughs> but yeah, the, the two people in the tunics that are actually running the bowling alley are both hidden creatures of some kind or another. I made a special point of making sure to mention that the jewelry in the girl's face was silver 
and not some more mundane metal that might make her face smoke and burn off. So um, she is what she is, and I'm not bother going into too much detail about that. I did enjoy that quite a bit. And then we get to go back and, and talk about the, or go back and meet the guy in the front lobby of the, of the uh, building. We, well, we had to have a big fight with Vicus. I think that was a really good fight. I was pretty happy with that fight. That was an argument that didn't exist again in the first draft, and I needed something. They already have a shouting match the next day, kind of. I needed something a little bit more different, a little bit different. And as fights go, I was pretty happy with that one. I don't think Calliope seems too unreasonable for being mad about this. She's sort of getting the, the weird stuff sort of slapped in her face, and she doesn't well, react to it particularly well. Calliope's relationship with the weird stuff is important all the way through the book. And she, generally speaking, is exposed to it gradually. And she sort of like gets it really hard in the face right here. And then forces Vicus to explain it. And she accepts it, which I think is important. She, she kind of goes and says, oh, they, well, they, the whole thing about they drank the thing. So she realized she kind of may sort of narrowly missed a bullet. Or rather, Vicus kept, this is important. Vicus kept her from doing something bad there, even though it pissed her off. Because again, he, he, he has his reasons, but Vicus does underexplain, sort of as his thing, and it sometimes it's not always the best move. Um, so in this case, it probably wasn't the best move. He could have he could have done a little bit more. Um, it wouldn't have been hard for him to stop at the front door and say, "Don't eat or drink anything in here." It wouldn't have been hard. He chose not to do it because that's just not his way, and as a result, it pisses him. Then we get back to the guard and I had, I won't lie, I had a tremendous amount of fun. This was also a new scene because this was all like the second time back. And I had a tremendous amount of fun with uh, Calliope sort of completely. I mentioned a couple times in the book, I tell you that Calliope is pretty good at lying and pretty good at sort of conning people, you know, playing that social aspect and, and kind of twisting people around her fingers a little bit. But we don't get to see it terribly often and showing is is better than telling so here i get to show and we see her basically play this guy like a cheap ukulele and i'm a big fan of the scene I'm, i like it a lot the baton death march that is chapter seven continues in our next scene and i think it's actually pretty close to the final scene we have about i think one long probably two sessions. We've got, we've still got two more audio sessions left in this chapter. One of which, and the next one is going to be Calliope and Gluin. But yeah, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be uh, Calliope one-on-one with Gluin, which the creepy factor gets pretty, I'm not going to lie. I had a lot of fun with this scene. <laughs> <laughs> 